Live and let die. Ah, yes, it's about that time. Oh, I missed you guys last month in the, the James Bond, uh, the James Bond review. Uh, this is supposed to be last month. I'm off. That's all right. Because you know it's Wednesday. And it's time to talk about the next Bond movie and the Roger Moore era. And I'm going to get my IMDb trivia up of, uh, and go through that here. And uh, this was the first movie um, of Roger Moore. Uh, and what a good one it is. It is a good one. And, you know, I watched this about ten, a little over 10 years ago, which is crazy. And not for the first time, but for the, you know, it had been a while since I'd watched the whole movie. Since I had first seen it. And I, I forgot about parts. I missed parts. But it's it's a good one. It's a good one. Although cheesy. There, it does come with its cheesiness. Um, you have James Bond in Harlem. And seeing the sights. And um, all, all that, that entails. Um, you have Gene Seymour in this. And... Who still hasn't aged? No, <laughs> she's aged a little bit, but she still looks great. And uh, I'm looking through the, uh, the cast here, and uh, uh, Yafet Kato, who I believe he was in the Heat of the Night. Well, I could be wrong about that. No, I'm thinking of somebody else. I'm sorry. He wasn't in that. He's definitely been in some other movies, so... He was great in this. Uh, he plays Kananga. And, uh, Julius Harris plays Teehee. He's a great henchman in it. And he was kind of like, to me... He's got a mechanical arm in this. He's like the precursor... To... Uh, Jaws, really, because of the the metal arm thing, and he has a claw. Before uh, Jaws comes into this series, so it's like a foreshadowing, which I thought was pretty neat. Uh, Jeffrey Holder plays Baron Samadi. Samadi, he's great. He's a really good presence in it, and uh, he's really uh creepy and um, plays a good uh, uh, voodoo priest kind of guy. And Gloria Hendry, she plays uh, Rosie. I believe she is like one of the Bond girls in it. And Louis Ma uh, Lois, sorry, Louis, Lois Maxwell and Bernard Lee, of course, in their perspective and in their respective, uh, sorry, respective. I'm an artist, so I say perspective. In their respective roles. Um, 
so there's a there's a watch that Bond has in this. Uh, it's they introduce it early on. It's like a, a super magnet watch that comes into play, and it, it's kind of like a little too powerful. <laughs> and uh, but it's fun. They have fun with it. Um, I'm looking at the writers in Fleming to the novel, of course. Tom Mankiewicz, Mankiewicz, he did a lot of these bonds, and uh, the, I think the Roger Moore and and uh, Sean Connery era, and I think that's why we get a consistency um, over the years of of greatness and a little bit of hamminess, you know. Which it's all good. It, I I don't mind a little hamminess as long as it doesn't go overboard. There is there's a bad move though in this though, and they always talk about it. There's a great stunt where this car goes over a bridge and does a little spin a rooney. But it's kind of they put in a cartoon flip noise, and that wasn't good. They shouldn't. I don't think the director should have done that. That came off really cheesy. I think it was. I think that's kind of a an artifact of kind of the I don't know the the let's just be silliness of the time. Um, I think if another director had that scene, that wouldn't you wouldn't have had that. And if I had my chance to edit that out of the movie. Um, I would just probably that would be the only edit in the whole movie would be just to take that noise out because it it cheapens the just the uh, the stunt itself which it should have been just the either the the car noise or just been quiet you know everything should have paused for that because it's such an awesome stunt it could it just flips over in the air and lands on its wheels again going off. And on these ramps. And of course we have Clifton James playing Sheriff Peppa Boy. <laughs> who uh, is the comedy relief uh, uh, sheriff. Who uh, plays that you know stereotypical southerner uh, Louisiana uh, cop in this. Who uh, comes back in this. In this in, I think the next one. The Man with the Golden Gun. I think yeah. Um, they make kind of a big deal out of him for a while. Um, maybe they lean on him a little bit too much, <laughs> but in small doses, he's fine. He's fine. Um, uh, here is the storyline. Several British agents have been murdered and James Bond is sent to, sent to New Orleans to investigate these mysterious deaths. Mr. Big comes to, uh, uh his knowledge who is self-producing heroin Along his journeys, he meets Teehee, who has a claw for a hand, Baron Samidi, uh, Sam uh, the voodoo master, and Solitaire, the tarot card reader. Bond must travel to New Orleans and deep into the bayou. Um, haha. Quotes, Hamilton, whose funeral is this? New Orleans assassin, yours. And that's referring to the beginning of the movie there's a whole big uh um funeral and they're all playing like uh trumpets and stuff 
trombones or whatever, and they're, you know, just uh, marching down the street with a coffin, and this guy's watching, and he gets stabbed in the back from the guy, and uh, yeah, it's uh, that's when he says he goes, whose funeral is this? And then the guy stabs him in the back, says yours, and then the guy gets rolled into the street and picked up by a coffin that they're holding. The coffin sucks them up or sucks him up into it, which is a fun little gadget magic there. And 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 James Bond starts off. Um, so, you know what's neat about Bond movies is that every now and then you can kind of watch them again and get a slightly different perspective or see something that you might have missed before. Uh, maybe movies do that in general. Maybe if they're good, they do that. But, um... Uh... There's just something about coming back and rewatching films that are that you enjoy. Um, right now I'm drinking a, a little uh, C4 energy drink to kind of keep me lively. Uh, so I apologize if you hear a little bit of spoon noise. I'm mixing a little bit. I'll try not to mix too much. In fact, what I'll do is put this in another. My apologies for the clinkiness. I know it doesn't sound good, so let me put it in this there okay um sean connery turned down the then astronomical sum of 5.5 mil um close to 32 million in 2019 dollars to play james bond for a seventh time pretty crazy but he had had enough and the diamonds were forever i think he had he, that was enough, I guess. <laughs> Connery gave Roger Moore his personal seal of approval. That's awesome. For inheriting his role. I didn't know that. Calling him an ideal Bond. And he certainly was. Although a little less serious. Um, it took Crocodile Wrangler and stuntman Ross Kananga, the villain of the movie, was named after him, Six takes to complete the scene where he, he doubles for Roger Moore when Bond flees. Um, six takes to, I believe, yeah, jumping over, jumping on the backs of these. says, uh, when Bond flees, the bad guy is running by running across the backs of three crocodiles in a swamp. Kananga received $60,000. That's about the amount of my student loans uh, for the stunt. <laughs> filmed at Swamp Safaris. Incredible. Uh, for his 350 acres of mangrove swamp on Jamaica's north coast, where he kept a herd of over 1,000 crocodiles. In a night, imagine getting paid. I'd probably do it. $60,000 to jump on the backs of uh, three crocodiles. Six times. <laughs> That's not bad for one day's pay. You know, a little risk, you know. Um, in a 1973 interview, he explained something like that is almost impossible to do. So I had to do it six times before I got it right. 
See, and if they did some dumb uh, sound effect of him jumping, like maybe like a Mario sound effect or something dumb like that, it would have totally, it would have been horrible. So I'm glad uh, Guy Hamilton, uh, you know, either told his editor to not do that or just refrain from doing that. Because um, it is awesome. It's one of the uh, legendary scenes in this movie. Um, and in 1973, yeah, it's almost it, 1973 interview says that something like that's almost impossible to do. Had to do it six times before I got it right. I fell five times. He fell five times, folks, jumping on the backs of crocodiles. Imagine how terrifying that is. Sheesh. Whew, risky. Risky. The film company kept sending to Lunt kept sending to London for more clothes. The crocs are chewing off everything when I hit the water. Whoa. Including shoes. Wow. I received 120, 193 stitches on my leg and face. Oh, fudge. I gotta swear. Fuck. I received 193 stitches on my leg and face. So yeah, he paid for that. He, you know, it didn't go as flawless as we would uh, uh, probably we might think. Maybe Whew. Roger Moore was 45 when he made his debut as 007. See, that's amazing. I'm 44 now, and that's incredible. I think that's great. I mean, and he looks young in it. He looks. He does look young. He looks like he's in his mid 30s. Um, but yeah, I could, you know, I would, I would definitely do it, you know, I could do it now and I could definitely do it at 45, but what a, what an incredible late start to playing a, uh, James Bond, you know, character and then playing it as long as he did. Making him the oldest actor to portray the iconic character. The youngest was George Lazenby, who was 29 in On Her Majesty's, Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah, he was a young young Bond. The producers offered Clint Eastwood the role for James Bond, which is unreal. Fresh from his success with Dirt from Dirty with Dirty Harry, but he was flattered. He was flattered but denied, saying Bond should be Bond should be portrayed by an English actor. And good on you. Good on you, Clint, for knowing when you're right for a role and when you're not. Um, yeah, there's a long boat chase in this, in this movie. Uh, an excessively long boat chase. Uh, the boat chase through the bayous was, was originally written in the script as just... Scene 156, the most terrific boat chase you've ever seen. Bond speedboat jump into the Bond speedboat jump made it into the Guinness Book of World Records for the distance of 110 feet, a record that stood for three three years. Uh, Clifton James' spontaneous reaction in that scene was kept in the final print. Good. You love that.
Always got to love that. Bond stunt boat used to make uh, the high jump over Sheriff Pepper's car. Uh, and that's the one I was talking about earlier. was specifically designed with redistributed weight so it would fly through the air with more stability. Um, the second boat was not scripted to collide with the police car. Uh, but after this happened, uh, while shooting the stunt, the script was changed to accom accommodate it. it was, the second boat was not scripted to, to collide with the police car. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you kind of have to keep that in the movie. Um, let's see. Uh, the producers made a conscious decision to make Roger Moore's Bond significantly, significantly different from Sean Connery's. Uh, in this film, Bond never orders a vodka martini, but drinks bourbon whiskey. Neat. No ice instead. That's weird, yeah. I did notice that. Uh, the mission briefing occurs in his flat, not the office. So this is like, I think the first time we see his. Oh, this is the second time uh, Bond's apartment is featured in the movies after an appearance in Dr. No. Bond does not wear a hat. I will say, I will repeat again, Bond does not wear a hat. This is the first time they said, the hell with it. He smokes cigars instead of cigarettes. Interesting. They wanted to change it up. Yeah, I always felt the hat was a little, you know, because the hat, the hat kind of, that stayed on for a while. But in the movie, he stopped wearing it a lot. So I, I thought, like, well, this is, I guess, because you're sticking with tradition. I'm glad they took the took the hat off so we can see more of the actor, you know. Side profile and all that. I always thought there would be one where Connery has the hat off, but I guess I was wrong. See, that's why it's interesting to rewatch re these movies. Um... Oh yeah, Roger Moore suffered an injury during the boat chase. The engine cut out, and the momentum carried him into the boathouse. <laughs> he cracked some of ooh some of his front teeth and twisted his knee. Um, he had to walk on a cane for several days afterward, but was still able to complete the scene. Good on you, Rog. Uh, besides. Oh, I'm sorry. Because all he had to do was sit in the boat. Um, ouch. Yeah, that's rough. Cracking your front teeth. Twisted knee. Yeah, it's a twisted knee. That sucks. But ugh, I hate the cosmetic stuff like that with the teeth. Because I know how much money it is to get you know, fixed and all that. Here we go. The magnetic wristwatch was Roger Moore's personal favorite Q gadget. Um... Also in this movie, the where Bond goes to get his uh, assignment and meet M, uh, is in like a like a boat, like the wreckage of a boat, and the whole interior is at a slant diagonally. So I thought that was a neat set to have a, a, a secret meeting, a mission assignment. Um, oh, this is interesting. No. Let's see, the first Bond, let's see, first Bond film, which 007 has a liaison with, uh, uh, with a black woman, Rosie Carver, played by Gloria 
Gloria Henry. When this movie was released in South Africa, all of Henry's love scenes were removed due to due of the apartheid uh, policies of the government. Interesting. According to Paul, McCart Paul McCartney, after director Guy Hamilton heard the title song in its release, he said, yeah, that's good for a demo. But when are you going to do that? Uh, when are you going to do the real record? <laughs> um, oh, this is interesting. According to Roger Moore, uh, Yafet Koto was... Uh, maybe I'm saying it could be Koto Kato. It's K O T T O Kato. Could you move, take the K out? It's Otto. So Kato was well, difficult to work with, but Kato denies this. Kato maintains that though he may have been quiet, he was courteous to everyone in the movie. Interesting. Who's saying the truth? Ha <laughs> ha. He plays a good villain, though. He's good. He's got good presence. Um, there's a scene where he's in makeup. He's in disguise. Uh, as a, a lighter-skinned uh, person, I guess. I don't know. Um, and he... I don't know. The thing is, like, everyone kind of knows that he's in disguise. So when he rips the disguise off... It's not really that big of a, uh, a surprise, really. <laughs> not really, you know. But I guess it's still kind of neat to watch in the movie because it's a neat. They did a good, neat job on, you know, uh, making him look like somebody else. It's kind of like a Mission Impossible thing. But again, I thought we knew that was the main guy, you know. Or maybe I've seen it so many times now. I, I just. I, I'm not, you know, I don't have that uh, naivete, you know. Let's see here. On his DVD audio commentary, which I'll, I'll probably rewatch all these with the commentary because it's so awesome. Sir Roger Moore considered this to be his second best Bond movie after The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah, I think Spy Who Loved Me. That's my favorite one. But he says this is his second uh, best Bond movie. Oh, this is interesting. According to uh, Yefet uh, Koto, uh, Kato, he was not allowed to do any press for the movie, nor was he allowed to attend the premiere. Kato states... Uh, the producers told him that they were afraid of the public's reaction to the villain being black. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, this is interesting here. Um, in order to establish the effect of Bond unzipping... Miss Caruso's blue dress with his magnetic watch. Um, a thin wire was attached to the zipper from the watch. A, sta a stagehand lay on the f floor underneath uh, Smith's body to pull the wire down. Uh, while Moore pretended to unzip the dress with his watch. See, that's like, 
This is like magician stuff. According to Moore, it took 29 takes to get it right. Wow, 29 to get that trick right. Ooh, early in the production. Roger Moore was hospitalized with kidney stones. Later, Moore and Jane Seymour caught dysentery while shooting in Jamaica. Ouch, that sucks. See, these movies, they're risky. Uh, definitely. You know, the stunts that you have to kind of do. You know, even Daniel Craig, you know, busted his ankle or he got messed up. I mean, you look at Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible, the last one he did. Um, yeah, messing up his ankle like that. It, th these things, every movie has its has its deadly risks, even if they're simple, they seem to be seemingly simple stunts. Um, sometimes deadly, most of the time it's just, they're not deadly, but, you know, injury, uh, easy to be injured on, on these films, because you're doing risky stuff. Filming in, in places where it's, you know, things aren't maintained. Uh, Roger Moore had a fear of snakes, just like his co-star Jeffrey Holder, who had to fall into a coffin full of them. Oh, yeah. And Jeffrey Holder is, is the guy that he's, he's laughing a lot in this. He's like the voodoo priest. He's like, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's a pretty wild stunt. Let's see. As a result, they hated shooting that scene. I bet. In addition, the script supervisor was so afraid he refused to be on set with them. An actor fainted while filming a scene where he's killed by a snake. And Jane Seymour became terrified as a reptile got closer. Yeah, that's pretty ballsy stuff to jump into a coffin full of snakes. And, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, some snakes were probably hurt. <laughs> because of it. Roger Moore wrote a production diary, which is awesome. That's how, that's what you should do during filming, which was simply titled Roger Moore as James Bond 007, Live and Let Die. It was published as a paperback by Pan uh, in 1973 and features a complete dossier of filming from the first to last day. Oh, that's awesome. Accompanied it are several pages of colors. I might have to get this. Color stills, many taken by Moore's then-wife, uh, Louis, uh, Luisa uh, Mattioli. Uh, the book was never reissued. Oh, and is today quite rare. Wow. In the, in the book, Moore uses the same self-depreciating humor, or deprecating uh, humor, for which he became famous, and details numerous otherwise unknown incidents squabbles, milestones, and production notes. It was re-released in June 2018. I gotta check this out. That's fascinating. Screenwriter Tam, Tom... Tame. I can't talk here. Uh, screenwriter Tom uh, Mankiewicz uh, dabbled with tarot cards. Uh, of course, uh, Solitaire, uh, she, she's constantly uh, doing these tarot cards and uh, every it helps uh, the the main villain make his major decisions, and uh, 
after she, uh, spoilers, after she sleeps with Bond, you know, he claims that she's, or she claims that her powers don't work to read the tarot cards, right? Of course, this is Jane Seymour playing solitaire. And <laughs> there's a great scene where after they sleep together, uh, you know, because Bond tells her, you know, it's in the cards and he shows her, you know, the lover card and all that. So she must sleep with them. She sleeps with them. And then at the, at the end of it, uh, you know, um, I, I forgot if he she leaves the room or something like that. He pulls the he pushes the cards over and they flip over and they're all this they're all lover cards. So no matter what card she picked, they were, <laughs> it was going to be the lover card, which is pretty great. However, these cards it's a little cheesy because the cards have the 007 uh, not so subtle logo on the backs of them, which you know. <laughs> some blatant uh uh you know logo branding right there but it's like you don't need to sell us a double seven we're in the movie third and watching it you know but whatever um tom okay screenwriter tom mankiewicz mankiewicz uh dabbled with tarot cards to familiarize familiar see i told you i can't talk familiarize himself with the art he took them to a party and performed tarot readings on the guests. At the party, Michael Kane, Michael Kane, and his Zen girlfriend attended, of course, and uh, he used his tarot cards to predict the two of them would be married. Um, the two married, and Mankiewicz said his autobiograph in his autobiography that for years afterwards, Michael's wife uh, Shakira Kane was convinced he had special powers. <laughs> Paul McCartney's iconic theme song for the movie almost wasn't used after uh, Mick Cartney Mick Cartney <laughs> uh, submitted this song producer Harry Saltzman said he liked it but wanted it to be sung by someone else preferably a black female artist McCartney told producers uh, he'd only sell the song for the film if he and his band were allowed to perform it for the film. Saltzman had passed on producing A Hard Day's Night in 64 and came to quip that he didn't want to turn down McCartney's second time. However, Saltzman would uh, subsequ subsequently say he much preferred Brenda Arnaud's version of the song he also heard during the movie. Um, I think, yeah, she plays living, she sings Live and Let Die, just, you know, in, in her, her own way. Um, so, yeah, um, there's a lot, there's a lot of trivia on this. Like I, I always say, um, you can always, um, check out the trivia on IMDb to get the whole thing, because otherwise... Each one of these podcasts would be two hours going over the trivia alone. Now, I've heard some things. Some people have said, oh, the trivia is is uh, some of it's hogwash. It doesn't seem that way. Most of this seems pretty dead on. Um, let see what else grabs my attention here. Because, again, there's just so much great stuff.
movie holds the record for the most watched movie to be broadcast on British television. And it was shown on ITV on January 20th, 1980. It attracted 23.5 million viewers. There are only three channels in the UK in 1980 and no home computers. Um, yeah, see, that's the thing back then, you know, the channels were so limited. And this is before HBO and cable and that kind of stuff. So what's on is what's on. Uh, there's a cool scene. One of the memorable scenes that came to mind, and this is big spoilers, is when uh, Bond uh, puts the uh, pellet, there's this air pellet that inflates. That's another thing that Q uh, shows him. And it, it inflates somebody. Like he throws it into something earlier in the movie, like a couch, and the whole couch blows up with this guy on it. And uh, so he puts this in, uh, in the villain's mouth, and the guy he blows up while they're underwater, and he goes flying out, out of the water, and you could see he's like, it's like, it's like a cartoon, like his whole body's blowing up, blowing up like the Michelin Man, and he explodes, and uh, that's a pretty memorable death scene. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. But yeah, I mean, Roger Moore uh, looks younger in this. He's got a few less lines. He looks a little bit more. He's a bit, a little bit more lively. His fight scenes have it together. You know, some of the fight scenes he does in his mid to later movies get a little sloppy. Um, and I, I always thought that some of those takes they should have done over because it's like, yeah, some of those punches and kicks just aren't quite as convincing as they need to be with Sean Connery you never really had that problem you know but that's just one of the weaknesses of of Roger Moore you know and I don't maybe I don't necessarily blame it on him it really should be the director to say let's do that again and and the choreographer to say let's just do it again let's get more takes so we can pick from a good one Roger Moore wrote in his autobiography that he played a prank on Jane Seymour. During lunch, she had a habit of asking people nearby to pass the ketchup, then the salt, then another sauce, repeatedly. <laughs> One day, Moore and the rest of the crew got up and left when Seymour sat down, causing her to burst into tears, causing Moore to regret the joke. <laughs> Ouch. Someone's a little sensitive. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> but yeah, I feel bad. I did one like that, and then she cried over it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, Roger Moore became the first actor to perform the gun barrel sequence without a hat. Let's see what else here. Solitaire. Solitaire is the only character to ever beat James Bond in a card game. Oh, this is funny. Bond's apartment is shown for the second time. Uh, the setting's not used again until Spectre, 2015. 
among the fixtures, yeah, because I remember that scene when everybody comes over Bond's place. Uh, among the um, fixtures is a machine making coffee that is treated as a gadget. Today's audience will recognize it as an espresso machine. <laughs> a la Pavini, uh, Pavan, no, Pavani to be exact. See, you can't talk today. Let's see. Um, all right. Although this is the first movie in which Q does not appear. Yeah, that's interesting. The book was actually the first in the series to make reference to the Q branch. The book follows directly from Casino Royale in which Bond's hand is knife-scarred with a Russian character identifying him as a spy. Uh, Q, or Q branch, performs surgery on the hand to conceal the scars. Bernard Lee was very ill during filming, causing the producers to consider replacing him as M uh, with Kenneth Moore. There's some other thing where Roger Moore was doing some kind of prank to the, uh, Bernard Lee and Bernard Lee hurt himself or something like that. But I'm not seeing it on here. Ooh, this is the only James Bond movie to have a supernatural theme. So, I'll do one more. Say one more. Um, whilst filming uh, Diamonds Are Forever, 1971, uh, this was chosen to be the next novel to be adapted because Tom Mankiewicz thought it would be daring to use black villains as the Black Panthers and other racial... Uh, movements were active during this era. This was inclusive with the box office success of the early black exploitation movies like Shaft, 71, Superfly, 72, and Across 110th Street, 70, another 72 movie. Here it is. The tarot cards were used by Solitaire are the tarot of the witch's deck that was created specifically for this movie by Fergus Hall. Their reverse side, which has the 007 numbering, numbering on the red background, cannot be seen in the James Bond uh, 007 tarot book. The tarot card, uh, the High Priestess, was the likeness of Jane Seymour, who played solitaire. That's cool. Very cool. When it was announced that uh, Roger Moore uh, was going to be James Bond, uh, at 45, he was already five years older, if you can believe this, than Sean Connery was when Diamonds Are Forever was filmed. And 16 years older than George Lazenby. Uh, but I think I talked about this last time. Roger Moore looks younger than Sean Connery here. Because Sean Connery looks kind of old. Uh, and uh, Connery looks like he's in his 50s, easily. In Diamonds Are Forever forever yet Roger Moore is five years older than Sean Connery and he looks like he's in his mid-30s in this movie
Oh, interesting. Clifton James and plays the, uh, one of the villains, I think, in this. And Roger Moore died within 38 days of each other in 2017. Rest in peace. Live and Let Die was the second James Bond novel written by Ian Fleming. First published in 54. The working title was The Undertaker's Wind. Story, ele story elements of the novel had also been used for For Your Eyes Only and License to Kill. See, that would be interesting. To, I, I read the first book, Casino Royale, and it was pretty good. So I might, I might start reading the books again. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. I'll go on, um, I'll go on a little bit longer, um, just, uh, telling you. There, there there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of, uh, words, uh, being thrown about at, at, of its time. Um, not, not the, uh, not the one that starts with the N, thank God, but, uh, another one that starts with an H. Um, um. And I just thought it was funny because it's a movie of its time a bit. And I think that's part of what that makes this kind of stand out. The music is is definitely in the 70s groove uh, this time. And uh, with a wah, 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 that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, I think it, it definitely, it's the wild, wildest and one of the weirdest ones because of the supernatural element to it, the voodoo stuff. And there's a lot of voodoo dancing in it and snakes. And this guy gets bit by a snake in the beginning of the movie uh, from the priest guy. And this priest guy is like, you don't know, you know, he, he there's a statue of him that gets broken. He comes back to life after like getting, uh, after falling on the snakes. So he's kind of like a Terminator in this, like a supernatural Terminator, how he kind of keeps coming back. But there's a great scene at the end where uh, he takes on, uh, Bond takes on Teehee, and he's got the metal, and they're on a train. So it's very reminiscent of From Russia With Love. And he's throwing his arm at him, and he, <laughs> it's a pretty funny scene. where it's And it's kind of reminiscent of Diamonds Are Forever, where... And that when Connery takes on one of the those two dudes, and he kind of flips him off the boat, um, putting the guy's uh, arms under under underneath him, and he flips him out of the off the ship or whatever. But this is, um, you know, Bond does a similar thing where he flips him, where he gets the he uses some kind of I think a, a wrench or something to put the guy's claws. And the lock him tight onto something so the guy can't move his arm, and then he like kicks him out or he flips him out of the the train window, and you just see the remaining arm swinging, and uh, the whole time Solitaire is she's inside one of those Murphy beds, and you know he brings the the bed down like she didn't hear anything with the whole fight going on, it but it's a good one it's a good cool fight scene. Very reminiscent of uh, Connery from Russia with Love a little bit. And uh, again, at the end, you have the voodoo priest uh, on the train laughing at the at breaking the fourth wall and laughing at you. 
and putting his, I think he puts his finger over his mouth to say, shh. So that was creepy. There's some creepy imagery. Um, it's definitely got a different vibe going for it. You got the uh, the crazy, wacky sheriff, uh, Louisiana Southern goat. Going, oh, boy. There's a good one because there's a great line where, you know, the sheriff is, he's constantly on the C <coughs> CB. And, uh, and they, he finally catches up <clears throat> with Bond in front of the FBI and all that. <clears throat> and they go, he goes, what you, what you, there you are, boy. He's like, what you, what you trying to get away? I got you now. And the guy goes, uh, yeah, uh, Pepper, Sergeant Pepper, this is, uh, James, James Bond. Uh, uh, he's, uh, with the British Secret Service or, or uh, uh, MI6 or, or whatever. And they, he goes, Oh, you are, you, he goes, you undercover? And he goes, For which side, boy? You know, <laughs> it's, just, it, it's funny. The guy has, his, he has its moments, although, again, maybe a little too often. Um, so there we go. I think that's about it. I'm probably missing a few things I could have talked about, but the trivia, I think, more than made up for that. Live and Let Die, Roger Moore's first Bond movie. I hope you enjoyed the uh, my, my review. Uh, check it out on DVD, or if you can find it streaming somewhere. Um, had a lot of fun watching it again, and uh, I'll eventually watch it uh, with commentary. And uh, thanks for listening. And live and let die.